I've met a lot of people. I enjoy that part of real estate is networking. And I've met people in these markets and I've spoken with them again and had developed relationships and they can help out even if they're not a, a partner on my property. There's somebody in the market that that can give me insightful information about that area, that property, something. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is John Todrud. John is a former tech and software entrepreneur and W-2 employee who got out of that world to invest in real estate full-time. Today, we're learning about his experience in the tech space as a tech W-2 and tech entrepreneur bringing some realism to that space and then translating that to investing in real estate, comparing and contrasting some of the big swings, big misses that folks make in the tech space compared to how we think about investing in real estate and so much more. We also dig into his experience investing from a long distance, investing in the Midwest from the West Coast. So you have to have teams built. You have to understand the markets you're investing in and so much more. We talk about his strategies for actually examining the properties or hiring folks to examine the properties before he buys them and so much more. A lot of great lessons in this one, especially if you're in the tech space, thinking about investing in real estate from a long distance, bringing some reality to the tech world, if you will. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and to date, I've acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And if you're hearing my voice right now, that means you are not watching us on YouTube. Go check out our YouTube channel if you'd like to see the videos of this interview and video of all of the other interviews that we do, along with some other bonus content. Once again, our guest today is John Tatarud. We're talking about his experience in the tech space and then translating that over to his current real estate investing ventures, making the switch to the real estate world. Without any further ado, here we go. John, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do, where you're calling from, your background, all that great stuff? Yes, thank you for inviting me, Taylor. My interests are multifamily real estate, of course, and my background is coming mainly from the technology space, from software, software engineering. I have had a number of, of W-2 jobs over the years and, and, and software development software management and along the lines I've had some entrepreneurial activities as well and and marginally successful not huge home runs but they were from an educational perspective just learned a tremendous amount and and have leveraged them in real estate made the decision a little while ago of just a few years ago to uh to take those skills into the real estate world the skills that I had were in sales certainly in information technology just the whole mastery of of the tools and 
and finance and and good with numbers and 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 so I I discovered along the line that that I wanted more personal control over reaching my financial independence and and saw the real estate was a great way to leverage my skills and started in that area but kept my W2 job for quite a while actually I was able to do both of them at the same time and and a number of number of years that I spent looking for properties and sometimes even doing the property management while having a W2 job and and going to visit a property and trying to fix things at a property and then figuring out getting other people to do it and learning about the whole team system and and learning about other markets and getting property managers leveraging up there was a, a learning curve that it took a while because I had other things to do and didn't have the education and training early on that I really should have but made this transition successfully into real estate. It's where I am full-time today. Awesome. So I'd like to dig into, during this interview, dig into your experience, compare and contrast the tech world to the real estate investing world. But before we get into that, I want to dig a little bit deeper into what you're actually investing in and where. So you said multifamily, but what parts of the country are you investing in? What type of properties you go after? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where I am today is in the Southern Midwest markets, a number of states, uh, Kansas and Missouri, Oklahoma. I like parts of Arkansas and Kentucky, uh, the major metro areas in those states. I arrived there at a roundabout way. I was investing in my own state, which is Washington, I'm in the greater Seattle area, and had properties near me, then properties on the other side of the state. And then I realized I could buy anywhere in the country where the market's good, the demographics are good, they're good trends as an emerging market. And so I started looking in other areas and I'm originally from the East Coast. So I thought, what the heck, I'm just going to try the East Coast, maybe the Southeast. I knew it was a growing area and I looked at those states, started buying, um, did syndicate a property in, in the Carolinas and looked for more properties there, discovered that it's super competitive. A lot of people wanting to buy in those areas, and for good reason. There's strong markets. A lot of population growth is heading toward the Carolinas, Georgia, Tennessee, certainly Florida and Texas as well. Those are those are have always been strong markets. But I I was targeting the Southeast for a while, and and then found that it was too competitive, more competitive than my preferences. I couldn't get cash flow. I like to see cash flow in a multifamily property and. And cap rates were too small. There wasn't enough there. So I moved further inland and found these good markets. Kansas City is one that I like. Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Louisville. Those are great markets. There's a few others in, that, in there that I'm looking at, but those are the, mainly the markets that I spend the most time in. Great. Okay. So want to dig in and compare and contrast your experience in the tech world with now investing in real estate. And we were talking you're telling me about creating a, a software product back in the day and, and selling that and having some sales. But you know, in my mind, I think probably in a lot of our listeners' mind, when we think about folks who have created tech products, software products, and started to sell them, it's like, wow, that is you're you're done. You're sold. It's, you're you know hugely success, successful. You're going to make minimum you know fifty hundred million dollars, whatever. You sell the company, you're going to do great, but your experience, that, that wasn't the case. I'm really interested to to learn the reality of tech entrepreneurship and compare that to you know the real estate world. So tell us about your experience as a, a tech and software 
entrepreneur. And, yeah, and sure, yes. I, I had earlier experiences running a business and I, I, I have business education and you know, certainly technical education, computer science. So I, I knew the, uh, the tech and I knew the, I knew the operations of a business and I had a smaller business a, a long time ago. And, and so the opportunity presented itself to me to, to start a software company. And I, I knew the industry and I knew the product market and I, I, I designed a software product for that market. And I went to people I knew and they became my first customers and grew a company around it and ran that company for a number of years. And we went out and sold product to a lot of other companies. It, it was self-funded. And at one point later in the company's operations, we decided to, to seek financing. And, and so that it was a vent, you know, my venture into the whole tech, technology financing, angel funding and venture capital community. And, and so I took the time to learn about it and networked and, and through the course of that, my partner and I raised money for a company. We ran a company for several years successfully, but it wasn't the home run that a lot of these companies are. And as you and I were talking about it, you know, the, the, the nature of this, of this business is that there are wealthy people who like to invest in, in new startups and they, they'll bring in angel funds, which are pretty much the earliest funds, maybe after a friends and family round, but it's angel funds to get a company started and, see, is this really a viable product or not? And then you come into uh, venture rounds. I mean, there's a lot of different rounds to it. It's uh, a different types of financing that could come into place. And so there's a, this is a learning opportunity for me is to, to see all of this take place in my community around Seattle. It's extremely successful. A lot of companies, not just software, but a whole lot of technology startups that do extremely well. And, and they didn't start all that well. And not everyone that started rose to this level. There's a very engaging and supportive community for technology startups. And, and we're fortunate in the U.S. that, that we value entrepreneurs. There's, there's, there's a lot of integrity and credibility to it. And there's enjoyment to it also. It's a thrill to get a successful company started. But as any early stage investor will tell you, not all of them are successful. In fact, a lot of angel Financing organizations, the people who put money into startups will tell you that eight, nine out of 10 of them are not going to be successful. They're not going to make it to the next round. They have to fold and let their folks go. The one, the one out of 10 is a home run and it makes up for all the others. And that's why they keep doing it. So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of dead companies lying on the ground, but these people are smart and they get back on the horse and they do it again. And so that's what the community fosters. And I can see that. And I, I, I learned about the you know what it takes to really get people to believe in your vision and to to help you with the capital raising side of it to put money in your company in your company and you know all of this was in the tech world and I had some successes but they weren't home runs they weren't they weren't like what you described it, it wasn't gonna um let me uh live into 80 for the rest of my life or anything like that <laughs> but but that's okay I I, I enjoyed what I what I did and wanted to continue doing it for really the rest of my life. As long as I'm able to, it's 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 what drives and motivates me. And so at at one point, and I know you were asking about the technology side, but at one point I found real estate and real estate was a, a perfect application of these these skills and interests that I had developed and and 
And so from that perspective, these technology ventures were not failures by any stretch. I mean, I don't consider them a failure. They didn't, even if they didn't set me up, they were still hugely successful. And I can look, look back on that and say, these are some of the best experiences of my life. And that's, that's really what I was setting out to. And it got me on the right track to where I am now with real estate and, and the successes I've achieved in real estate. So I think one of the things that really, I guess, fascinates me about this tech entrepreneurship space is that it seems like we only hear about the home runs. And maybe that's why there there are so many common misconceptions around the you know, success rate of tech entrepreneurship. Once you kind of, once you get outside of the the sphere of that space, people don't hear about the the eight or nine out of 10 that don't work out. They only hear about the one out of 10 or fewer that turn into these big companies, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Snapchat, all the other ones that go public and, and make all this money. Whereas in real estate investing, we're we're really going for base hits rather than home runs. Seems to be one of the biggest differences between the two worlds. I don't know if you've seen that in your own experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the tech world is not that much different in that way. And so an easy way to see this is on Shark Tank. You watch all these people present their products and and the common questions from the sharks, which which is true across the board to any kind of early stage investment process is what have you done where have your successes been all these base hits you need to prove revenues you need to demonstrate the viability of your product and proof of concept and real estate is no different you're you are out trying to buy to buy a property to invest in a property that is going to achieve the the projected returns you you know if the projected returns are 12 15 18 20% or whatever annualize, there's a possibility that it'll be more, possibility it'll be a lot more because that's the track record, but you can't, you can't expect that much more. You need, you need to be happy and satisfied with something in that range. Certainly it's a lot better than a CD or a money market, or even in today's high interest rates environment there, there's, these are still solid home first singles, doubles. I mean, they're, they are, they're great wins if they're not even if they're not 50% return. And so the mentality transitions from being in an entrepreneur, the technology field or, or whatever whatever field is not just tech, but a lot of great, great product spaces that, that can lead to outsized successes, tremendous sales and, and tre- tre- tremendous um, financial success for, for the, uh, the founders and the operators. And real estate is no different. It's just, yeah. So investing out of state, investing in the in the Midwest from the West Coast, you're pretty well separated from the area. How did you and how do you handle team building, physical due diligence, you know, all those things where it really helps if you are there? How often are you traveling there? How much are you doing online, Zoom calls over the phone, that kind of thing? How do you split that up to maintain, you know, yeah. success in these deals. Well, y- using online platforms is a tremendous help to it, of course. We can see so much about an area without having to physically visit there. If you look at a Google map, a Google aerial view, a Google street view, it's great information, but it's not always recent and it's not always realistic. I see a lot of Google street views that are maybe two or three years old. It's not reliable enough. It is good to, good to have people 
that you trust in the local market. And so what kind of people? Well, it could be a property manager. You develop your relationships. And and this is this is all the business 101, networking, talking to people, developing trust for them, knowing how they can help you and you can help them, and people you can work with at a local a local geographic area. It could be it could be a property manager or a broker. A broker is a wonderful source of knowledge sometimes, and sometimes others, they don't care. They they don't even want to give you the time of day. But a property manager wants you to know that they know their market so that you'll hire them when you buy your property. And so they're they're ready to help you a lot. But there are other sources as well. Like when I'm looking at a market, I, I want to see a current picture of the market. So are you going to look at the offering memorandum and all the the pretty sunny pictures of the property and the best side views and all that? Or are you going to ask the broker to drive by the property and they're still going to put the best view on it? What I've done and had some success with, it's not always easy to do, is just place like a Craigslist ad for a local photographer, somebody to drive out to the property, take their iPhone, walk through the property, take a bunch of pictures and then upload it to me on Dropbox. And I pay them a few bucks and it's quick and easy. It's a realistic view of what the property looks like, just a, an objective snapshot into it. It's one way. I mean, there are other things that people can do as well, but that's that's how I at least see the property. But then you dig into all the other data sources. There's a there's a wealth of data about, about really every sub-market in every city. And being able to see it, it's a neighborhood crime statistics, where are the growth rates, what's household incomes, what are the property values, all those things. Is it an affordable area? And what's the rent growth like? Those were key factors in me choosing these areas. But like I, I mentioned, um, Oklahoma City as an example, a good area, a strong market, and I like it a lot and I'd consider virtually anything in that market. However, not all the little submarkets around Oklahoma City are equal. Some are great, some are not so great. You look at the not so great ones and you decide, I'm just not going to buy in that market. But then a broker tells you, well, this little area of that submarket is a path to progress. There are things happening. Here's what they are and blah, blah, blah. They talk, tell you about all the, all the development opportunities and suddenly you're interested. And it's that kind of thing you need to be listening for and asking for is what's happening. I, you know, should I buy in this submarket that everybody always knows is spectacular, or should I buy in a submarket that's that's seeing a turnaround and about to get really nice and a lot of growth around it? So those are the kinds of things that I look for in any of these markets. And I early on, my first properties were half an hour down the road. I I could drive to them and do the repairs myself. I discovered. It's better to hire a handyman. They do a much better job than I do, and they can be there when I can't. And so I started learning the handyman market. The properties did well, grew income. I sold them and bought properties in another part of the state, two or three hours away. I'm not going to drive out there every other day or on the weekends to see the properties. I had property managers. And through that process, I discovered the benefits of having professional property management. And when you have professional property management, Property management three hours away, you can have it anywhere in the country. As long as you know the market, you know how to pick a property manager, you understand what needs to be done, and you can you can have rational, informed discussions with them about what you want to have done on your property, you can be anywhere. Then you 
then you start thinking about, okay, where are the good markets? And you look around the country and what I've chosen are not the only good markets in the country. I mean, my my goodness, there's there's so many great markets that are out there. I had to choose a few and I could have chosen different ones. These are these are good markets that I've taken the time to learn them. And 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 so knowing good people, once you know a market, you get to know the property managers in the market, other key people. And you, you know, for me, I've gone to a lot of real estate conferences over the years. I've met a lot of people. I enjoy that part of real estate is networking. And I've met people in these markets and I've spoken with them again and had developed relationships and they can help out. Even if they're not a, a partner on my property, there's somebody in the market that that can give me insightful information about that area, that property, something. Or you could go to bigger pockets and do searches on who's who's interested in multifamily in this particular market and find people and get to know them. So there's a lot of a lot of ways you have to be a little creative sometimes, but definitely assertive and conversational and and proactive about it. Reach out to them. You're going to call them and talk to them. Sometimes you cold call them and sometimes, oh, I'm busy, but let's talk again. But whatever, they're always happy to hear from you. They're in the business and they want to talk about real estate. So I like the the Craigslist and hiring somebody to drive by the property idea. That is an interesting idea. And Studying different markets, getting to know the various sub-markets. Before we move on to the three, three questions I ask every guest in the show, how did you dig deeper into markets like Oklahoma City and get to know those different sub-markets and, and find that data? Are you looking at local data sources? Are you talking with people who you meet at these networking events and, and conferences? Like, What is your your strategy for building that knowledge of the various sub-markets in these cities? Yeah, it, it is absolutely all of the above. I, I I learn about markets from people I meet. I learn about markets from brokers I talk to. I I, I have a lot of well, I, I have I shouldn't say a lot. I have, I have a few very good brokers that I have ongoing relationships with, and I enjoy talking with them. And they share a lot of a lot of key details. But I I didn't get to these brokers just by calling calling only a handful of them. I've spoken with a lot of brokers. You can learn about a market from a broker. A broker is is very interested in sharing about it. Absolutely, there's online information as well. And that's what you you go to a conference, you take educational classes, you talk to other other experienced people, and you learn about what are these information sources? What you know, is it just CoStar or Crixi or or can you go to Yardi, like one of these professional property management or, or software um, sites that have data? Or do you go to like a free source, like maybe Neighborhood Scout or City Data, or all, all of them have something to contribute. And you have to be keeping your ears open and looking for the data. You can do Google searches for certain types of data and you, you start seeing the, uh, the results pop up and you look at a website and say, oh, this is garbage or this person didn't spend any time researching it. And then other people that like Milken Institute is great research source. It's usually fairly general, but but um, the information is reliable and you learn who these these information sources are and then you can use them typically for any major market. Cool. Great. Okay. Good to know. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com 
and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, John, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Let's see. I would say probably the most impactful investment I made was I I bought a trombone when I was 14. And and that kind of (laughs) sounds pretty trivial or silly, but a few years prior to that, I'd started playing trombone in school and I really liked it and I was getting good at it and saved up a few bucks from all all of my little odd jobs and and I realized I needed a better trombone because this is what I was doing. This is the my my thing and my identity at that time. And going into high school, I was in other bands. I was starting to play, and I was becoming recognized for it. And so I bought this trombone, and and it was a much better trombone than the one that I had before. And I I you know my best experiences through school were because I played this trombone. I mean through the band and. And, and other people that I met, my best friendships, everything was around that. And, and my achievements were from trombone also. So it kind of, it, at an early age, it, it, it set me up that I, I can do this. I can, I can work hard at something and achieve something and, and it's enjoyable and achieve recognition from it. Cool. All right. That's a, that is an interesting one. I like that. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? It is a, well, I have a few candidates <laughs> for worst <laughs> investment, unfortunately, but I, I had bought a, a property in a C minus market. It was supposedly stable, but there were some st- structural issues that just kept compounding. And then the city got involved because problems weren't getting fixed fast enough. And and I was looking at that property and and pulling my hair out thinking, what do I do? And this is early in my investing career. And I was, you know, not, I, I'm absolutely learning today, but I was definitely learning back then. And, and, <laughs> and so I, I knew all about distressed properties and just, and, and I, I was thinking you take a distressed property and put it on the market and walk away, you're going to get nothing from it and you're going to lose money. And, and it is a no win situation. And I was determined I am not going to just, make this a decide that this is a distressed property because everything that was wrong with it could be fixed. It just took more money. And so I, I dug into my pockets and I made the investments and I got the things fixed. A lot of it was around the roof, roof leaking issues, tenants complaining. And, and I'm, you know, I was scared to death. I don't, I'm not, I don't want rot and mold down on the walls. I got to get this roof fixed. And so it was finally a, a major roof replacement that I had not planned for, other things like that. And then better tenants came in, painted the outside of the building, income was up, and in a fairly short period, and then the city was happy, of course. I mean, the city, the, the issues that the city was concerned about, the ones that they were looking at from other tenants that had complained were were getting fixed because some money was put into it. It was, I, I just, I had to dig in my pocket and and spend the money but when it came time to sell it, the income was up, the value was up, and it more, way more than made up 
for the invest the additional investments that I made. So I was thinking that was a a, a great lesson. I don't want to have to do that again, but but it proves the value of of or, or the benefits of multifamily real estate investing, and also that people value quality. They want better products, mm. better rental markets. But tenants do, and investors do, and 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 so I took that to heart. <laughs> Rocky path along the way, it sounds yes. like. Pretty rough lessons. Okay. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Hey, I, I would say it is is persistence and believing in your own abilities. Because I've, 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 I've had the experience that I'm sure most people have that what these other people are doing, these people I'm working with, I can do it better. And sometimes I've been right and some other times I've been wrong. But you know, I'll validate my instincts with my team. And if it makes sense to them, I'll run with it. Okay. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today, teaching us all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Sure. There's a couple different ways. My company is Cardinal Oak Investments. They can go to learnaboutapartments.com, learnaboutapartments.com, or they can reach me directly at my email address, John, J-O-H-N, at cardinaloak.com, C-A-R-D-I-N-A-L-O-A-K.com. Nice. I like that. Learnaboutapartments.com. That is a, a good grab. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.